It's the last week of Black History Month and Women's History Month is on the horizon. We thought, what better topic to talk about this week than women of color entrepreneurs? Out of all the different demographics and races in the state of Arkansas, women, particularly Black women, outpaced every other demographic in business creation. And so we really wanted to know why. On today's show, we'll talk with Christy Carter, the principal investigator for a recently released study that explores the hurdles and persistence of these women. And today's Turn to Your Neighbor segment features Shanquetta Cunningham, a participant in the study. And Patricia Ashanti is on a mission to support families as they work to get out of poverty and change mindsets. We'll tell you how she does it. You're listening to the Black Belt Voices podcast, propagating the richness of Black Southern culture by telling stories from and about Black folks down South. Thank you for joining us in our final episode of season two. I'm Adina White. And I'm Carol Wilkins. I did. I borrowed the microphone from Dylan so I could show out tonight. You know, I was like, I had to come correct for Black Belt Voices. You know, you don't get this opportunity every day. So I had to make sure that um, I came correct for y'all. So good evening. Good evening or morning or whenever you're tuning in. Our first guest today is Christy Carter. We loved her energy. I'm just Christy. I'm just Christy Carter. Um, by day, I'm Director of Marketing for Outreach and Community Engagement and Academic Affairs at the University of Central Arkansas. Christy is also one of the founding members of UCA's Minority Vendor Partnership Initiative which is part of the university's Division of Labor, Institutional Diversity, and Inclusion. Soon, you'll have to refer to her as Dr. Carter. She's finishing up her PhD in Leadership Studies at UCA. She is also the principal investigator for a study called Nevertheless, She Persisted, which is a phrase that became popular three years ago when Mitch McConnell made the remark about Elizabeth Warren's objections to confirming Jeff Sessions as Attorney General. One of my really good friends um, who is who works at UCA, her name is uh, Dr. Gail Seymour. She actually used this during the suffrage centennial events that we had at UCA. And I said, hey, Gail, I'm really going to piggyback off of this because I think it's very relevant um, for this particular study to have a strong and powerful title. That's that part. But nevertheless, she persisted, really has to has to. I guess, marries the backdrop of this study so well. And Adina, who thank you so much, Adina, um, actually wrote the foreword uh, for this particular study. And um, she starts off by saying, you know, when we started this study in January of 2020, we had no idea that a national pandemic would come. Um, we had no idea that we would be faced with the racial disparities. Um, so blatant and in our faces, right? So um, that that's where that title and some of that energy kind of came from. I came together as the, the PI, so I'm the author of the study, but I had a fabulous 
team. Kara was one of our moderators and Adina um, played a very pivotal role with her um, insight into the study. And lots of really strong um, women of color voices who came to the table to put uh, to put some thought behind what we were doing. Adina and I had the pleasure of working with Christy on the Women of Color Business Owners and Entrepreneur in Arkansas study. Yeah, it was really um, neat to be involved with this project. And actually, when Christy invited me to participate, she didn't really know about this podcast. We were at an event pre-COVID, and she said, there's a study I'm working on. It's, it's about women of color entrepreneurs in the Delta. They, they've expanded it since into Arkansas. She was just asking me because of my involvement in our community, but she was really excited about um, the podcast and the work we're doing with Black Belt Media. So, um, yeah, I was just glad that she invited me along for the ride. It's actually a commissioned piece from the Women's Foundation of Arkansas. And it's a follow-up to a study that they actually conducted in 2019 on the economic indicators of women in Arkansas. And so what we wanted to do with this study was really follow up to see, hey, one, one huge finding that came out of that was out of all the different demographics and races in the state of Arkansas, women, particularly Black women, outpaced every other demographic in business creation. And so we really wanted to know why. That was really the impetus for this particular study, how and why. Um, especially in places like the Delta, where we know the story of the Delta House, it's impoverished and we have intergenerational poverty issues there. And um, so how did we, how did, how did women come to this place? Like how, how are they persisting in such, um, in the face of such adversity? How do they continue to thrive? The original study that Chrissy is referring to was very helpful as far as statistics goes. It talked about um, economic indicators of women and was very data heavy, had lots of numbers. And that's great because you do need the data in order to find out why are women um, having barriers to opening and growing their business. This study actually takes it a step further and really tells the stories of the women of entrepreneurs and asks them what have they encountered and what are some of the issues that they're having and what are some of the successes that they've seen in growing their business. It was really more qualitative more than quantitative. Yeah, and as far as we know, it's the first of its kind here in Arkansas. Um, the way they got to these stories was they, they had six focus groups in the study and these women who participated were asked poignant questions to help figure out why so many Black women start businesses. And um, not to go off too much of the numbers, numbers are important. So I just kind of hit on the top five, you know, kind of like Chris Rock's movie, top five. Let's just talk about the things that resonate the most with the women. And the number one motivation, of course, is financial security, right? Um, women... 72% of our participants really wanted that financial security. And so under that, you had the flexibility of working your own hours. Um, mostly they wanted to pursue a passion, um, serve the community is big. Um, over 50% of our participants really felt like they had um, a commitment to the community that they had to get out there. Um, and serve their population. 
and they wanted to see a vision come to life too. You know, it's something that kind of something that was boiling in them. They had an idea and they really wanted to see that come to, to life and um, to fruition through their work and their own hard work. So that would be the top five motivation um, that we that we get from that particular study. We talked about some of the barriers Black women and women of color face as they start their businesses. Number one was access to capital. And number two was racial bias and discrimination. As a Black woman, I can't help but to say, you know, I was sad to see that. You know, I was sad to see that Black women felt like, or women of color, because we, you know, we looked at uh, various races and ethnicities, but that uh, second to access the capital to the money was they agreed that a huge barrier was racial bias and discrimination. And of course, that came out in some of the focus groups. Um, and we talk about the perceived legitimacy that they face. And that I think that was probably one of the most telling um you know, the most telling results of that particular study was that Black women and the links that they go through to be perceived legitimate in their business practice, you know, um, in the stories you'll read in this, in our study, some of our women business owners will go as far as putting uh, white individuals in front, you know, to you know, to be the face of the business. Um, we had participants to say, you know, I'm struggling right now on whether or not to put my face, my black face and my natural hair on a billboard because I don't want this to take away from my business. And, um, you know, so that, you know, that is the heart of this particular study for if, as the author. And as the principal investigator, it's all the social justice or injustice imperatives that it kind of brings to the surface. Things that you don't necessarily see um, day to day, uh, but that came out in their stories. And if you listen to our podcast at all, you know that we've spoken at length about how Black women and, and Black people in general have to strengthen themselves at work. Um, we had an episode about racism in the newsroom. We talked about it in our job hunting episode. We even talked about it in our natural hair episode. But it's really sad that even in the businesses that we own, we feel like we have to shrink ourselves. And I think that's really the biggest issue, right? Is you take on this business, you become an entrepreneur, you think, you know, maybe I'm going to be in charge because I'm setting this self up, this, this, business up for me and myself and my family, and you're still facing some of the same systemic racism that would occur if you were in a nine to five job. It's just all so familiar, right? To all of us. Mm -hmm. It's not just in the South. Christy told us this is a cultural issue across the nation. That's how it is. Um, I would love to be able to say that, you know, we'll that at some point there'll be some type of actualization of a post-racial society, right? Or post-racist society. And I don't think we're ever going to see it. You know, I look at my mom, she's, you know, she lived through the civil rights era 
and she can, I mean, she can just pinpoint how life is really no different than it was when she was, um, you know, a teenager growing up in Arkansas. I mean, of course, it's a lot for us to take in and soak in, but uh, when we talk about turning the tides and making any type of change, it's so individualistic. And, and, you know, I know that, you know, through the pandemic, we talk a lot about collectivism and coming together and being together to make change happen. And of course, collectivism is important. I strongly believe in that. But I think true change is such an individualistic thing. You know, like Ayala would say, uh, or is it Ayala, Ayala Van Zant? she would say, uh, you have to do the work. And I always wondered about that. What is that all about? You know, doing the work. And it's very much um, from an individual perspective. You know, you have to get down and and do the thinking for yourself. That brings us back to our conversation with Dr. Candace Barnes that we aired last week about equity in education. Right. Christy reiterates, we have to add humility to the equation. Two of my very best friends, Todd Parker and Dr. Candace Barnes, y'all might know them from Parker Education Development. They, they have a firm or agency in Arkansas, and they practice something we call, we talk a lot about DEI, right? Diversity, inclusion, um, equity, and inclusion, and they really ho- focus on humility equity and inclusion and um and i appreciate them for that because humility is a big thing um and if you practice humility first and just kind of take it from the lens that they see the world it's very much about freedom of arrogance assumptions and acidic commentary about others right it's actually looking more inward and doing more self-reflection. But I think it's important for us to talk about the individual work that we have to do um, as just a person and as a society to really see the change happen so that we can address those issues um, around perceived legitimacy um, in businesses. We may not have as much of that um, if we were more intentional about, you know, taking care of others and understanding where they're from and wanting to see them uh, thrive and succeed. Put aside some of the um, that competitive nature that you see in entrepreneurship, uh, thinking, hey, you know, if I get these ideas out now, some of that is true, you know, that you have to keep your ideas to yourself. But, you know, there's an opportunity for mentorship and um, that came out of that study um, that entrepreneurial support organizations and just people like me and you that we can do to, um, to help quell that whole idea that, you know, I have to be white in order to be legitimate. And that's, that's just not, that's not right. We know that's not true. And of course, there's that internal work we all need to do, even as Black folks. We were all raised in a white supremacist society, and so there's rethinking that has to be done. There's also other tools that some of the women mentioned that they needed access to in the report. Another big one that came up was marketing support, right? So if you have a business and you want to 
start with a logo or where do you go for comm support or where do you go for someone to help you pick out a social media plan that's not always readily available and so some of these women had really great businesses but they didn't know how to set up a platform to actually amplify their business. One such resource that Adina and I particularly know about is the Arkansas Women's Business Center. We went through a program last year called Momentum, Mm -hmm. which really helped put us in contact with lawyers, communications professionals. Um, It helped us to come up with a business plan and business strategy, and it even put us in contact with bank and loan officers. Yes, it was such a great program, and that program is through Windrock International, um, and it's led by a Black woman who's also an entrepreneur. She became an entrepreneur as a teenager, uh, Chauncey Holloman Pettis. She's awesome, and just in your state, you probably have something similar, so if you're thinking about starting your own business, look into resources like that. And so Christy talks about this a little bit, you know, what are some of the other things that women mention that they need throughout the study? When you're going through the study and um, you're looking at those different barriers, marketing, I, I put some some additional barriers that we really needed to follow up on um, that weren't really high in terms of the statistical significance and marketing support was one of them, you know, so uh, definitely of the marketing support, something else we're dealing with right now, um, the broadband access in certain areas of the state. I mean, that's a long conversation, (laughs) but broadband access was an issue. You know, you talk about how can I, you know, switch and pivot to a virtual world when, you know, my internet is unreliable. The report on women of color business owners and entrepreneurs in Arkansas was released today. It's hard off the presses, and you can find the link in our show notes. We encourage you to check it out. After the break, we talk to Patricia Ashanti with Delta Circles, an organization that brings low-income women together to learn about investing and building business. And I'm glad y'all brought up um, Patricia Ashanti and Delta Circles because she's one of those networks, you know, those sub-ecosystem networks that go out and they do the work. We'll tell you how she does it after this. I'm Shanquetta, and I work with nonprofit and for-profit leaders to help them do what they do best. Hey, it's Katrina Dubins here with this Turn to Your Neighbor segment. You've been listening to Adina and Kara talk to Christy Carter about her research into women of color entrepreneurs. Shanquetta Cunningham was one of the women featured in the study. She is the CEO of Karis Grants and Services, LLC, which equips organizations with strategic solutions to diversify their funding portfolio. She says purpose is her motivator. A purpose to recognize that my place in the world is to help others um, get access to spaces that they were denied. And so I've recognized that the opportunities I've been afforded to um, with leadership and along those lines, you recognize there's a whole group of people who do not have those opportunities. And so through CARES, um, that's the purpose to leverage opportunities because it's not about creating opportunities, they already exist. I just want the other side and other people to know that you can access this and I'm that bridge to do that for them. Uh, A quote I really love is by Dr. Miles Monroe, um, that one of the greatest tragedies in life 
is to live life um, with your purpose and unfulfilled. And so I make it my mission every day to do better than I did the day before um, in leading with purpose. Shinquetta says that her purpose is a blend with her responsibilities as a wife and a mother. She wanted to be able to drop her kids off at school, pick them up from school, and attend all the classroom parties. So the age ranges are, I have five. <laughs> Let's just say we have five. Uh, 15 to two years of age. So it's always fun times here, always fun times. Uh, but I could not ask for a better position. Just saw the opportunity to have grassroots organizations that will come into the city and ask, can you help with grant writing? Can you help our nonprofit? It was always a no, but it was a yes for me. And combine, combining that with being able to serve my family and be there and be present, that meant a great deal to me. Shinquetta also heads up a group called Over a Cup, which is a space for Black women entrepreneurs to connect and collaborate. We have to get to a space to where we move beyond ourselves and leverage resources, leverage talents, leverage relationships, because as much as we're trying to grind and build with financial capital, if we do not have social capital, I assure you, it does not lead lead well as you would like. So um, I, this is an open invitation for anyone that's listening to join us every fourth Saturday, your Black Woman Entrepreneur at 9 a.m. And you can follow Over a Cup on Facebook. But most importantly, where, where, wherever you are at, create your own spaces of intentional gatherings so that you can grow in whatever areas you are doing. You can find out more about Karis Grants and Services and Over a Cup by finding the link in our show notes. With this Turn to Your Neighbor segment, I'm Katrina Dupins. Welcome back. Patricia Ashanti is the founder and CEO of Delta Circles Incorporated, a nonprofit organization providing programs and opportunities to challenge the way that Black women think about themselves, their finances, and their businesses. Patricia is from Helena, Arkansas, and she's always recognized the need for community service and had a desire to help families thrive. In college, she realized she didn't know a lot about personal finances, which isn't uncommon. A car accident is actually what helped her really start to focus on her own financial health. In 2017, she formulated WIN, Women Increasing Net Worth Savings Group, which has empowered women to create new financial narratives for their future. I think one of our greatest success um, is, is related to the Women Increasing Network Savings Group. Um, the first year that we started that, we started it with eight women. And on, at the end of the year, after each woman had determined the amount of money they wanted to save individually, and we held each other accountable for doing that, uh, we also, you know, set a rule that if you save the money, you put it into your account. If you wanted to take it out, you had to come back to the group and tell the group why, what emergency has occurred that make you feel like you need to go into that savings. And that um, made us not go into it. So by the end of the year, we had collectively saved over $10,000. And each year, this is our third year, we've continued to save more each year because 
it is done in a group setting. It creates a certain level of camaraderie when you get women together on a regular basis. Um, we're very careful to create an environment where women can feel comfortable and not feel like they're being judged as they tell their personal stories. And we find that um, women are able to learn you know, from others, even if they wanna be quiet for quite a while. Patricia's business model for the Win Group is actually based on an African practice called Susu. Susu, also known as merry-go-round, is a form of rotating savings in a credit association, sort of like a type of informal arrangement between a small group of people who take turns by throwing hands, as the partner calls it. We'll attach an article in the show notes. As a result of those savings goals, Patricia says other things have worked in their favor, like paying off debt, improved credit scores, and the empowerment that comes with making better choices. And as we mentioned earlier, some of these groups have been built out of necessity because women don't have access to traditional capital. So this was a way for Patricia to bring Black women together to help self-fund their own businesses and organizations. And it's just amazing to see women now that are totally different from three years ago. And when I say women, I have to include myself in that as well, because my life has been changed. Um, I noticed even how I redefined three years ago or four years ago, I was defining myself as a single woman trying to get out of poverty. And I have learned to re, to see myself differently and to recognize that I'm doing it, you know, and, and, and to hold myself accountable for every decision, you know, and to know that, um, you know, th- there's just no, there's no excuse that I can put on where I am. I can't say, I'm here because of this. Every de- I'm here because of every decision that I make. And I think having my finances in my face on a regular basis through these group settings has done that. And, and I think it has been very impactful to many women in the area. The members of the group who have children also take these life lessons home to their kids. Um, they teach them about budgeting, saving, and investing. You can't start too early. Agreed. It's really amazing work that has the potential to have a huge generational impact on not only these women, but, you know, their community. And we'd like to thank Patricia for talking with us about it. For more information about WIN and other Delta Circle projects, visit their website and Facebook page, which we've linked in the show notes. All right, so it's time for the call and response segment. Everyone ask you some questions about being Black and Southern. You just give us the first thing that comes to your mind. You ready? Black and Southern. <laughs> okay, Black and Southern. This is going to be harder than the question. I already know. I already know it's going to be hard. Okay, all right, give it to me. What do you wish people knew or understood about the South? Man. Well, 
<laughs> I think I would love for people to know that we are not a bunch of country bumpkins and Bible thumpers, right? Um, we are happy and humble people. And we live simplistic lives to some, you know, to some uh, respect. And simplicity is not a bad thing. But that we are very smart and we're talented and we're rich in culture and spirit. Um, you know, I just think about the South is so full of thought mm -hmm. leaders. You know, just right here in Arkansas, we have Dr. Sharice West Scantleberry and and Corey Anderson. And I talk about WRF because I look at them and I say these are black people running something with Rockefeller's name mm -hmm. on it. Um, we have a lot to to give and to lend to this state to make it better. So what do you love most about living in the South? The people. I love the people and the culture. Um, I love the nature that we're surrounded by, um, the wide open spaces and fresh air. Uh, I get a lot out of that. I'm very, very humble and, and I feel very fortunate to live in in the South. And those are some things that I love most about living here. I just feel peace right now. Mm. Um, so if you could change one thing about the South, what would it be? Oh, Lordy. <laughs> just one thing. <laughs> um, I, I think about it a lot. I mean, it would have to be a, a tie. And I know y'all, oh, let me see how I can make this right. It will have to be a tie between intergenerational poverty and brain drain. But I guess intergenerational poverty leads to brain drain. So let me just focus on that. But I guess I have to go with brain drain. And if, if you know uh, what that is, we talk, we use that term a lot in community and economic development to talk about um, like when the youth are highly trained individuals leave someplace <laughs> and they take their knowledge with them, you know, and, and the impact that that has on a society as a whole. Um, and I think that, you know, if I had to change that one thing, it really would be to concentrate on keeping our talent here in the state. That was a strong answer. Mm. So <laughs> fill in the blank. I would love to sip sweet tea on the front porch with mm, my grandmothers. You know, both of my grandmothers are gone. And, uh, you know, I think about my Angelo's poem, Our Grandmothers. I just, if you it, go back and read, <laughs> read that poem for yourself as an adult. You know, in school, we would look at different my Angelo poems and we read them and we, we, we memorize them. But gosh, y'all. It's a lot to that. Um, she shares so many powerful messages in her stanzas. And there's a part of the poem, and of course I'm paraphrasing, but it's like a child asking the grandmother, you know, about slavery. And, you know, kind of like, will we be sold? And it was like, yes, yeah, you'll be sold if you don't, <laughs> if you don't work hard and keep your mouth closed. And it's something to be said about that. And the older that I get, I wish I had my grandmothers here to talk to me about that. You know, I wish I could sit and talk to them um, and ask those questions. There's so much more I want to know. And, and my grandmother passed away 
um, one of my grandmothers passed away last year. And all that time, I just didn't, you know, I don't, you don't think about it until it's over. You know, that, dang, I, there was some stuff I really wanted to know. So I would have to say them. Mm-hmm. So what's your favorite Black and or Southern saying? Y'all know I love hip hop and I love Southern hip hop and I'm a big outcast fan. You know, so if, I, you know, y'all might hear me bumping, uh, get up, get out and get something. I love that. But but one of my phrases, honestly, is woo child. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know something very provocative is going to follow that woo child. Somebody got something to say. It might be some wisdom that's coming behind it or somebody has some realness to show. But definitely that woo child. And it's not woo chile. Right. It's I was going to say woo child. <laughs> whatever comes behind that. I love that. <laughs> so what's your favorite soul food dish? And at the risk of risk, I'm sorry, and at the risk of losing your black card, what's one soul food dish you could live without? Mm-mm-mm-mm. Just one soul food dish. Hey, okay. Soul food meal, your favorite meal. Well, you know. <laughs> For me, for me, honestly, it's the collard greens and the and the cornbread dressing and your giblet gravy. Y'all say giblet or giblet? Oh, I, I say giblet. Giblet, giblet, giblet gravy. Giblet? I, I say giblet gravy. That's oh, right. I gotta have. Yeah, I gotta have all that. <laughs> I gotta have all that. Uh, but I could definitely live without chitlins. And pig feet and stuff like that. I'm good on that. I can live without that. Y'all might have to revoke my black card for just like just a little bit, but I'm not by myself when I say that. I'm sure. Oh yeah, we had someone else had just said chitlins on the show. Yes, that's uh, right. <laughs> I, I, I think it's like you can tolerate them or you don't like them at all. Yeah, that's a very divisive. I mean, uh, divisive food even in the black community. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So finally, what's something awesome that's happened in your life recently? The biggest thing that happened is that we came together as um, as as one voice and one body to produce that report. And we finished it. And it is awesome. Again, we'd like to thank our guests, Christy Carter, Shanquetta Cunningham, and Patricia Shanti for coming on today's show. That's a wrap for season two. We'll be back in September with season three of Black Belt Voices. But don't be surprised if we drop some bonus episodes between now and then. Bye, (laughs) y'all. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts so others can find us. You can also listen to the Black Belt Voices podcast on most streaming platforms. This episode was edited and produced by Katrina Dupins and Prentice Dupins Jr. with music composed by Prentice Dupins Jr. Black Belt Voices is a production of Black Belt Media, LLC. Be sure to follow Black Belt Voices on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Black Belt Voices and visit blackbeltvoices.com.